good morning and welcome back. We are in week six of our journey through the gospel of John. Now last week, we dove into verses 19 through 28, where we encountered an exchange between the religious leaders of that time and John the Baptist, who gave his testimony about what was about to come. You know, he was, he was telling of, uh, of what's on the horizon, and he quoted the prophet Isaiah in saying that, I am the voice of one calling out in the desert, make straight the way for the Lord. And referring to Jesus, he tells these religious leaders that there is one who stands among them that they do not know. And he tells them that, that this one, this person who comes after him is greater than he, that he is unfit even to untie his sandals. And this week, so that's our primer for this week. This week, we'll be leaning into verses 29 through 34, and we will encounter Jesus for the first time in this gospel. We will learn what the Lord has told John in regard to how he will know that Jesus is the Messiah. So John chapter 1, verses 29 through 34, if you've got a Bible with you, awesome. And we're going to jump in right here. John chapter 1, verses 29 through 34, they read like this. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see the Spirit descending on and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Let's get into it. You guys ready? So verse 29, the next day, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's, there's more than a little significance in what's being stated here. We know what John means. We do. When he identifies Jesus for the Lamb of God, we know that, that from our perspective, looking through the lens of history, that the term Lamb of God reflects the sacrificial character of Christ's mission. But it may have been like a vague or a cryptic message to those hearing it for the first time in those days. And the phrase itself, Lamb of God, probably wasn't too indecipherable. The Jewish culture and, and tradition of the time, you know, they were familiar with the idea and the use of the sacrificial lamb. So this wasn't some symbolism that was lost on them, but it may have stuck out like, well, that's, that's not... A lamb of sacrifice, that's a dude, you know? And this lamb, this lamb of, of sacrifice, it was a guilt offering. It was offering an offering that bought atonement. But the way that John uses it in saying, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, the words preceding this portion of text tell us what? They tell us that, that John saw Jesus approaching. So it must have been strange to those with John when upon seeing Jesus approach, John says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That statement is a head turner. 
And the text hasn't told us yet who he is talking to, but we'll soon find out that he's with a few of his own disciples. So it's a safe bet that when he is speaking in this portion of scripture, his disciples are who he is talking to. And he continues to speak when in verse 30, he says, this is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. And John has said this before, after, after me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. This isn't the first time he's made this statement or something kind of paraphrased with it. And he's priming his disciples and anyone who will hear to be ready, to be ready when he finally identifies this mysterious messianic character. And when he sees Jesus is approaching, he tells his disciples, this is the one. This is the one. In verse 31, he goes on to say, I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Now, there's something that kind of stuck out to me when I'm reading this text. It says, I didn't know him. You know, and if we, we read back, and if we read into different gospels, we're like, well, they're, they're connected, right? Are they not connected? Well, what this reads is that whether or not John is connected to Jesus by blood is of little to no importance. They were cousins. They were. And it was likely that the two weren't just related, but that they were acquainted. So what John didn't know then was that Jesus was the Messiah. And John testified, I saw a spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on him. And the event described here is mentioned in all four Gospels. But only in Luke do we learn that the spirit descended on him in physical form like a dove. And there could be no mistake on John's part. It wasn't, it wasn't a subjective experience. Because the spirit assumed the visible form of a dove. So it wasn't subject to his interpretation. It's a literal observation. And why a dove? Have you ever asked that? Why a dove? The dove was considered an, an appropriate offering for the poor. And it symbolized purity, gentleness, and innocence. One commentary that I, that I reference mentioned that it is said that only the dove offers its own neck to the sacrificial knife. And sometimes the symbolism used in scriptural text, well, it's, uh, it's lost on me. I'm not so much a scholar of the Bible as I am a student of Jesus. So when I read that the Spirit of God descended to rest upon Jesus, it may be tempting to look at the telling in the Gospel of Luke and confuse symbolism for literalism. But what takes place in the testimony of John when he says, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it rested on him, it's both symbolic and literal. It's one, it's the other, it's both. And verses 33 and 4 go on to say, I didn't know him, but when he who sent me told me to baptize with water, he said that the one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. 
I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. John repeats, he reaffirms that he did not know until the descent of the Holy Spirit who the Messiah was. And he tells us that the only way he did know was that the one who sent him, God, told him what to look for. So he'd received marching orders. He'd been tasked to carry out a symbolic practice, the water baptisms, until he sees this sign from God. And that sign is the Holy Spirit resting on Jesus. And, and not just that he sees it, but that he sees what it does. And what it does is it rests on Jesus. Now last week, or the week before, we have an encounter with some of the religious leaders who are there to ask of John, who are you? What are you, what are you doing? Why, why are you carrying out these, these practices? Who sent you? And it's important to remember the, the fact that communication between God and Israel, well, it wasn't great at that time. There had been just a bit of silence for 400 years or so. So it is of monumental significance that, that John is saying, he who sent me to baptize with water told me. He who sent me to baptize with water told me. Now to the religious leaders, they could really only be received a few different ways. Either as the mutterings of a madman or as a wound to their pride that some social misfit was in communication with the God that they serve. When they themselves, the priesthood, the scholars, and the religious authority had effectively been excommunicated. Or, or here's one more thing that it could have been. It could have been that he was telling the truth. That he was indeed heralding the prophesied Messiah. And that there began to, to be a great trembling for those who understood. And John punctuates this, this telling by saying, I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So there's this thing that's happening. There's this thing that's happening here with the religious authority. And who are these guys? These guys are a, a well-studied, devout, disciplined group of believers. And there were undoubtedly scores of them who were basically good. But let me ask you something. What happens, what happens when we, like you and I, what happens when we have become lost in the ritual of religion without an open dialogue between us and God? What is it all about then when we are only concerned with our responsibilities? What's it about then? I have to set up for Bible study. I have to prep for communion. I have to write a message for Sunday. Whatever the I have to is and however it applies to you. What happens when we become lost in the ritual of religion? We that's us and God. We become I. 
Sure, God's name is probably on the building in some way, shape, or form. But that's about all. And what begins as a labor of love can quickly become a labor of self. A labor of I. And we can very quickly become a room full of eyes. And one of the things that I love most about the Word of God is that it meets you where you are. It meets you where you are. It meets me where I am. Time and time again, it meets me where I am, wherever I am. And it testifies to me like John testified in the wilderness. And it reminds me of who Jesus is. Every week, I put a great deal of effort I put a great deal of effort into sounding like I have some idea of what I'm talking about. I'm glad you laughed. (laughs) I, I laugh about that sometimes too. I put in a great deal of effort to sound like I have some idea of what I'm talking about. And I'm sure to mention that I consult a hand, a handful of commentaries and And I just want you to think that I'm doing my part to diligently bring you a message that is inspired by the Word of God. I don't mean to sound too self-deprecating. It is important to prepare. Don't get me wrong there. It is important to prepare. It's important to take seriously the call that God has placed on my life. It's important to take seriously the call that God has placed on your life. But maybe more than anything... It is important that this task that I have been called to, the task that you have been called to, this this labor that we've all been called to, which is to share the gospel, by the way, it is maybe most important that that remains a labor of love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3 say this, If I speak in the tongues of men, or angels, but I do not have love. I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I am nothing. I was talking with a buddy of mine about verse 1 right there. and It says, uh, if I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clinging symbol. And there again, symbolism. Um, For all of the parents in the house who've ever had a child that was so graciously gifted, like a drum set or something for Christmas... Oh man, it's it's really important that if if you have the gift of music, you've got to sharpen that knife. Um, It's also to be understood that not everybody should have that knife. (laughs) Because it's just a resounding gong. It's a clanging cymbal. You know, the child has the drum set, and they're like, I have have this thing. I'm going to make noise with it. But it's just a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. It's annoying. And yeah, we can chuckle at that. But if we really think about this, 
If I speak in the tongues of men or angels but do not have love, I am annoying. Put it that way. If we're just acting out of self and being like, man, I I got all the gifts. You got to be kidding me. God gave me this many gifts? Oh my gosh. I am awesome. Annoying. (laughs) The task that we've been given, it is important, so utterly important that this task remains a labor of love. And it's important to understand Scripture. Let me touch back on this, you know, that I use the commentary and I, I reference articles and I do my due diligence to, to make sure that, that it's of sound doctrine, you know, and that it's of God and not of me. It is important to understand Scripture. It is important to be as studious as necessary in order to continue growing in our faith, and to effectively share the gospel. So don't for a second think that I'm diminishing the value of studying Scripture. But it must remain a labor of love and not one of self-elevation. When we become self-styled scholars, when we become that, it is clear to those around us that the word of God has been lost on us. And that's okay. That's okay because Jesus can and will meet us wherever we are to humble us, to love us, and to teach us. Jesus once said this. He said, I praise you, Father, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to the little children. Now, unless I have grossly misunderstood this passage, I think what this means is that we're to look at Scripture through the eyes of a student and not through the eyes of a teacher. And to be fair, to be clear, we can share what we have learned, sure. I have many fellow students in the room today, a few of whom I call mentor. But we need to be clear about something. We, all of us, I, you, we, all of us, we have one teacher. And that is Jesus of Nazareth. My question for you this week is what is Jesus teaching you? What is Jesus teaching you? Has the message of Jesus been lost on you? Has the word of God been lost on you? And if it has, again, it's okay. But it doesn't have to stay lost on you. Just come home. Just come home. You're no less loved. And he'll meet us wherever we are, every time. He'll leave the 99 to go after the one. In the way that John the Baptist testified in the wilderness about the coming Messiah, that testimony, it hasn't changed. 
If you've wandered away from Jesus, or even if, if you've truly just never really accepted him, if you've never truly given yourself over to him, that testimony, well, that's for you. John's testimony is for you. So I ask again, what is Jesus teaching you? And if you have an answer queued up in your head, acknowledge that. And make that your labor of love for a, for a time. And if you have no answer, that's okay. If you have no answer to the question, what is Jesus teaching you? And then I have an invitation for you. You are invited to bring yourself to the feet of Jesus and to just sit, to just absorb his presence until you become teachable. That is our challenge, that is our charge, that is our question this week. What is Jesus teaching you? If you have an answer for that question, make that your labor of love for whatever time that is supposed to be. If you have no answer for that question, bring yourself to the feet of Jesus and just bask in his presence until you become teachable. A good friend of mine, he's not here this morning, but a good friend of mine has this phrase for like when the light finally came on, like when he finally saw the light that is the light of mankind. And he said, I instantly became remarkably teachable. So let me encourage you. If it's been five days, five weeks, five years, 50 years, and you're just kind of trudging along, and you're like, man, I want to know Jesus. I want to... I want to have this relationship that I read about, but I just, I don't know what's stopping me. The invitation to stop and sit at the feet of Jesus until you see the light that is the light of all mankind, that invitation is yours. The invitation to wait and become teachable. We're going to pray here in a minute. I want to ask you guys, to please hang out. I did warn you that last week I, I was going to hold you hostage. And I meant that. So please hang out if you can. I get it. We're going to pray here in a minute. But we're going to have our annual business meeting. It's so fun. My gosh. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just lied <laughs> in church. Uh, but it is necessary. Um, so please stick around. Uh, would you join me in prayer as we close out the service today? Father God, we thank you so much, Lord, that we can, that we can exist and bask in your presence, God, that, that we can become teachable, that we, we can become more and more teachable with each passing day, that we can become more receptive to your will and your goodness. God, we, we thank you that we can just come together and be family and that we can watch accidents happen and laugh and love together. God, we just pray that we would continue to have this, this sense of of family that is the body of Christ in this community. God, I pray that it would continue to grow and that it would continue to knock down walls between congregations and denominations, Lord. Your spirit is on the move in more than this community, God. God, and I just pray for a continued revival because that is revival. 
Lord, that your spirit speaks to those who've not yet heard you. That is revival. Lord, that you encourage those who have you. That is revival. There is a renewed sensitivity to sin, that there is a renewed vigor for the word of God. Lord, that we would just desire to know you more each and every day. And God, we just thank you and we love you for all that you are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.